are celebrating Resurrection Sunday today. We believe that there's a very special message that we're going to partake of here in just a minute. And I have some really exciting things I've prepared to share with you. But in the meantime, what we're going to do is we're just going to go back three days and we're going to remember before all of this happened. Before all, and you've got to remember that Jesus was walking in such high level prophetic that in that upper room, he'd already seen glimpses into the future of what he was going to face. That's one of the reasons why the Garden of Gethsemane uh, was such a struggle. You see, in the natural, I was explaining about the temple and bringing people would bring uh, spotless lambs in, and the lamb is just such a trusting animal. It comes walking in and doesn't fully know what's going on, and next minute it's on an altar. And, but with Jesus, Jesus was the Son of God who saw things before. He saw Nathaniel. If you remember Nathaniel, one of the prophets, uh, sorry, one of the, the, the apostles, uh, he saw him and he said, you know, I, I saw you uh, while you were still far off sitting under that tree. And he started to tell, tell Nathaniel things about him that he didn't, shouldn't have been able to know. It's because God, Jesus was walking with the Father in such intimacy that the Father was showing him things ahead of time so he would know things. That's, that's really the uh, potent prophetic lifestyle where we're not just, you know, guessing at things and, you know, hoping we can match colors and numbers and things like that. That's just very shallow, low level. I'm talking about someone that's walking in intimacy with the Father that begins to see things and hear things and know things ahead of time. And so Jesus would have intimately known what the next few days would, in, would entail for him. Not just the days leading up to the cross, but the days also leading up to the resurrection, because all of those days, the, the technically the three days from, from Passover to crucifixion and the, the other three days from crucifixion to resurrection is six days. That's six days of intense hardship. And so it's also those same six days. You remember that God made the world in six days, and then on the, on the seventh day he rested. You can just see some, so many amazing parallels. So, but with that, before all knowing all of this thing, all of those things that Jesus would have to endure, he took the, the bread and the wine and he opened covenant. He opened covenant and he even offered it to the man who would betray him. And I just find that so powerful. And so we're going to take that right now. I'm not going to go into it too much further, but you know, Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which I break for you. He didn't say that people, he didn't say people are going to overwhelm me. He didn't say this is all going to go south. He said, I'm laying my life down. You, you don't take it from me. I'm laying it down. He said, I am letting this happen. Uh, because the truth is, is that no one could have done anything to Jesus unless Jesus allowed it. And so Jesus allowed all of this atrocity to happen to him so that in the breaking of his body, our bodies or our, our, our spirits would be joined to God's family, that our natural bodies would be healed, our natural minds, our emotions would be healed. So, so with that, let's just, in doing this, we're saying, yes, Jesus, I want to part. I want to be part of who you are and what you've offered me. So, so let's just take that right now. Jesus, we just accept. We ask that you would just show us anything in our life. Jesus warned us not to take this. Actually, Paul did. He warned us not to take this lightly. And we just don't live in sin and then just think that this is, this is cheap because it's not cheap. So when we do this, it's a really good reflecting time to just stop and look through our lives and go, Jesus, is there any area of my life that I need to just really put right with you? That I've, I've, I, I'm doing real well over here, 
but over here I've got this little compartment of sin and and God I'm, I was just doing it I was in cruise but I didn't really notice it how how bad it was how offensive it was so I just repent right now Jesus I see that and I ask that you'd set me free and and in doing so Jesus I, I just right now I accept the sacrifice of everything you did at this time of year 2,000 years ago and I ask just like the thief on the cross that you would remember me that you would bond me you would marry me you would adopt me into the family of God that I would no longer be an orphan that I would be family son daughter status in Jesus name I accept come on let's just let's just take the breath and then he also lifted up the wine And he said, this is my blood, which I shed. He didn't say it was going to be spilled. He didn't say that they are going to drain my blood. They're going to kill me. They're going to, I'm going to bleed because of all the whipping. He didn't say that. He said, this is my blood, which I shed for you. You see, no one could do anything to Jesus. He allowed it. And so he willingly let his blood touch the ground. Remember when... Cain killed Abel, and Abel's blood touched the ground. Abel's blood, the Bible says, God's, God. when God came to Abel, he says, your brother's blood is crying out for vengeance. When he came to Cain. So your brother's blood's crying out for vengeance. But when Jesus' blood touched the ground, it cried out for mercy. <laughs> and uh, I'm real grateful for that because Jesus didn't come as an angry king. He came as a merciful son, merciful God. And he... So in such gentleness of spirit, he, with so much dignity that I don't believe any one of us could do, he laid his life down with so much mercy in the hopes that everyone who would believe would partner with his body and let his blood wash each one of us, free of sin, clean, spotless, the guilty being made innocent because the innocent was made guilty. And so right now we just we just say yes Jesus we we partake of this cup and we say Jesus we are so grateful we don't even understand what it cost you to step out of perfect heaven the Bible tells us that you were made even lower than the angels so that you could come and rescue us so that looks like a king living in a garbage dump so that he would rescue homeless broken orphans and make them the king's family. And that's a cheap story analogy, but we are so thankful that the cost you paid, God, for at least how we understand it. Now, I know in heaven, God, we're all going to understand it in a different way where the meaning is so overwhelming that we're not even going to know what to do with it in eternity. But right now, God, we just say thank you. We say thank you, thank you, thank you, King of kings, Lord of lords. We accept and we humbly receive that you would see that your life was a worthy exchange for our freedom and redemption so let's just take let's just take the the juice right now the wine we thank you jesus we thank you jesus just i don't ever want to be familiar you know religion Religion repeats stories like this every year in a mantra and a chant. But I personally don't ever want to get to a place for me, and I hope this is for you too, where 
I know the words to say, but the words hold no value. Where the words don't make my ear, my, my the words don't make my eyes start to get wet. I I, I want to be humbled at the awesomeness of God every time I look at this and I stop and think about this. So, yeah, every time we come to this moment, it's just, it's holy. I believe one of the greatest things that we're going to look at in heaven, aside from just looking at the Father, is looking at what Jesus did. I, I think we're going to spend all of eternity just trying to figure out how amazing what Jesus did in coming to earth and dying on the cross, innocent dying for the guilty. I think we're going to spend eternity marveling at that. And I don't think we fully understand it yet. But I'm going to do my best to try and help us understand it a little more today while we're here on earth. I pray this series has been blessing you. I pray that someone's eyes have been enlightened. I pray that not, uh, my heart isn't so that you would become more knowledgeable. My heart is that you would become so amazed and driven into intimacy with God because of understanding in a deeper way just what Jesus did for you, not just for us, for you. Because you are worth the cost that he paid. You know, I tell people this often in our church that in any kind of hostage situation, uh, the ransom dictates the value of the captive. If, if you know, someone comes along and says, well, we're going to take that person captive and it's going to take $100 for us to let them go, well, then that person's going to be known as the $100 man for the rest of their life. But if someone's taken captive and they, the captive, the, 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 cr the criminals say, hey, we want $100 million. And somehow they find that $100 million and they give that to those criminals. And that person goes free. That person is the $100 million person, man or woman. But, but we're, on a high, we're on a higher value system. Because when Satan got a hold of man and became the God of this age and the, the jail keeper or the jailer of all the souls of humanity, God didn't send money. God sent his son. So God the Father sees you, sees me, in the same value system of Jesus. So God's not looking to throw you away. God's not looking to get rid of you quick and easy. He wants you to make it because you are not the $100 million son, not the $100 million daughter. You are so valuable that there's no numerical value. The Bible says that if a person was to gain all the riches of the world and lose their own soul, it was a bad exchange. They, they got shortchanged because there's no money, there's no, there's no economy on the planet that could buy one soul. So, so I want to get into this right now. We have a, I have a lot of content. There's a lot of scriptures. We're going to go on a journey right now. It's exciting. It's awesome. It's going to cause you to see yourself and understand not just Easter, what people call Easter. Easter is really a pagan word. Resurrection Sunday, Crucifixion Friday, Passover, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever day you want to call it. Okay, you're going to see all of it in a different light. So, so before we go deep, I want to go backwards. So I want to go, I've written some notes here. I want to talk about the giant background, the origin story. We have to talk about the origin story to understand the moment that we've been studying. 
So if you will, come with me, please, to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. I'm going I'm to read through some of these verses quickly so that I can build a case and show you how awesome your God is. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verse 26. This is the creation part of, of the history of this planet. Then God, who was in the middle of making everything, then God said, let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. He's talking to Jesus and Holy Spirit. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over all the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So that so God created man in his own image. God didn't make man abstract. He made him to look like himself. When God sees you, he sees an image of himself, a type of himself. Oh, I love this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful. Now watch this. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over everything that moves on the earth. Now come with me down to Genesis chapter 2, please. Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 15. Then the Lord took man, Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, God has created a planet. He's created a perfect paradise. There was no pollution. All the animal populations were thriving. All the environment was perfect. There was no sin. So that means the whole planet had no deterioration. There was no bad ecosystems. There was no ecology problems. There was no weather issues. There was, no, there was nothing wrong with the earth. Everything was perfect. There was never an apple on a tree that was halfway formed. There was never an apple or an orange on a tree that had uh, uh, worms or deformities or any kind of rot. Everything on the planet was perfect. And God said, I'm going to put the one that looks like me on the earth to, to tend it and care for it and look after it. But if you notice back in, in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, actually, sorry, in verse 20, uh, close to 28, God blessed Adam, and he said, Be fruitful, multiply, um, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. And so what God is actually saying is that's not just like some instructions. That was actually a spiritual uh, governance empowering. You could say in church lingo, that was an anointing. That was an empowerment. Adam literally had a spiritual authority over the planet. You could say that Adam was even God's representative over everything that lived and breathed on the earth. So, so, so Adam was made to rule the planet. Now, prior history, previous history to Adam coming into the garden, we know that Lucifer rose up against God, deceived a third of the angels, had a rebellion. The rebellion was squashed, and Lucifer and his angels, which are now known as demons... Lucifer, now mostly known as Satan, was kicked out of heaven 
and he came down to earth. So you see Lucifer and his angels are now, are now banished in a prison sense to earth in the spiritual realm, while God makes Adam uh, a, a lookalike of him, an ambassador and enforcer of his power, his name and his kingdom over the earth. So actually, when Adam was born, or when Adam was created, Adam actually was in authority over Satan. I want you to understand that. Satan was not a rival equal to God. Satan was a lower created being. Satan has never been on an equal level to God. And so when you understand that when God said have dominion, let me, let me read it again for you. I'm going to read that verse 28. So from that point of view, watch this. He blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. So blessed, fruitful, multiply. Fill the earth, population, and subdue it. Subdue what? You only subdue things that are hostile. But the earth is perfect. So God's giving Adam a mandate to subdue evil. Interesting, isn't it? And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves. And then it goes on to say every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, creeping things that creep on the earth. See, it doesn't say fish that swim. It doesn't say birds that fly. It doesn't say any other thing like that. Every other living thing that moves, it says every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So the thing that creeps on the earth, creepers, hashtag creepers, okay, it was the serpent. Now, I'm going to get into that later. Now, the serpent wasn't a snake. People think they always paint the snakes, but that's actually not true. The snake was what, was what came out of after the judgment, which we're going to get to in a little bit. So I would propose to you that that the serpent had wings and legs, and that's why the Bible calls Satan the dragon of old. Okay, that, that's just me presenting something to you to think about, because everyone in all the paintings, Da Vinci, uh, Michelangelo, they all paint um, uh, the serpent looking like a snake, but it wasn't a snake, okay, because it was the most beautiful. We're going to get to that in a minute, but you, you'll see that. But having said that, I want you to understand this. Adam is commanded and given and empowered with authority and dominion to subdue everything so adam was actually a type of almost a demigod if i could say that i know that's not the not church language but he was actually a son of god on the earth empowered to do what was right so so adam had power from god to keep the earth in order right but satan and his angels were also on the earth Okay, let's keep going. So, so we've just read in, in Genesis 2, 15 through 17, that if you eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Now let's come down. Uh, that, let's come down from there. That's the, we're in the first segment. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, today I'm going to talk in three segments of the story. So the first one is this. It, the first segment or the first point is called the giant background or an origin story of where this is all going. It's all going to come back to the cross resurrection and it's going to start to have a whole new meaning for you. Okay, so so ver, uh, Genesis, come with me another chapter over. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, I've, if you want to learn more about this, I preached a message a while back. You can find it on our YouTube, I believe, called Speak To It. It's also on our podcast. If you're finding this interesting, I would highly recommend you go and listen to the message called Speak To It. It's really going to help you understand who God's truly made you to be and what the devil has been trying to take away from you this whole time. Okay, so um, 
So, so he came, the serpent, and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said to you that you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of, of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, or in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you even touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, you notice that they were so obedient and so pure in their uh, following out what God had asked, they hadn't even looked at it. So she says, and when she saw it was good for food. That means they hadn't even looked at it or considered it for food yet. So now, she, now the question from the enemy, or from the serpent, which is really possessed by Satan, you could say. Now it's causing her to turn and look. So when the woman saw that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make a person wise. See, we're dealing with a fruit that was more than just like an apple or an orange that would make you feel good and refreshed. There was a spiritual element to this food that would actually increase uh, what, would, what appeared to be to her in this moment wisdom. It's the knowledge of good and evil. So what that means is that Adam and Eve were so innocent that they didn't actually know the difference between good and evil. They were so innocent. Okay? They weren't stupid. They were innocent. They were pure. Uh, she took of the fruit and ate it. So also she gave it to her husband with her and he ate it. Then the, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and so sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves coverings. You see, disobedience, which is sin, sin is just purely disobeying the perfect instruction of God that around things he's told you to live a perfect life so that you would enjoy your life to the full. There's nothing that God's asked you to do that's there so that you would not enjoy life. It's everything he's asked you is so that you would have an enjoyable life because a creator wants his, wants his creation to be used for optimal purpose. Okay, and in our case, God wants us to enjoy life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life in full abundance. So, so I really want you to start to understand this here, that as soon as they realized that they had sinned, disobeyed God, a, a covering left them and they felt exposed. Have you ever sinned before? Have you ever done something that you knew was wrong and all of a sudden this overwhelming sh shame and vulnerability came over you and then in that moment you realize you needed to do something so you looked better. Okay, this is the result of great, 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 great grandma and grandpa. Okay, they were the original sin. They were the ones that actually, this was not just like a virus. This was a DNA alteration. They literally came out from under perfection and innocence and they came into shame having the knowledge of good and evil. And when they had the knowledge of good and evil, they actually had an awareness of right and wrong, but also shame, condemnation, equally acceptance and, and all that stuff too. But, 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 but ultimately for them, it was, a, it was a, a first time experience when they started to realize the covering of God had left them because they disobeyed. That, that was how they started to die. Okay, so, so let's keep reading together. I talked about that the other day. I talked about how God killed the first animals. You remember that? Um, and he and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden of, in the cool of the day. So God came every single day, and there was a sound when He walked. I guess you could maybe maybe it was a breeze blowing. I don't know. It talked about a wind blowing through the garden. 
okay? But he would come and talk to them in the cool of the day. And they heard that sound of the cool of the day and, and God walking in the garden. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God, see that, I know every single person watching right now uh, has actually experienced that where it's like, oh no, I need to hide. You remember when you were a kid, you like told a lie and you started to build a case to cover it up and you, you, or you stole some candy or whatever that was. And as we grow, we just become more sophisticated and trying to cover things up. But it always is a mess because God sees through our, our fig leaves. Okay. And he said, who told you? Oh, so, sorry, I, I jumped, uh, jumped a scripture. God said, where are you? I mean, like God needed problems. God, God, like God didn't have a GPS on where everyone is at. God knows all things at all times. So God calls out, where are you? Um, and so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You see, also at that time, there was a level of stupidity that came over Adam too because Adam had known God a long time and should have known that God was much sharper than that. But now he's trying to fool God with real low-level trickster <laughs> cheap shots, okay? Okay. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Then, then the man said, The woman that you gave me to be with, she gave me of the tree and I ate it. Isn't it amazing how humanity enters into the blame game? Still to this day, if you ask someone what, they, what they've done or who did this or ask a child who, who made this mess, everyone points at everyone else or everyone goes quiet. Okay, we got, we got that issue as, as, as humanity. Let me just catch up with where I'm at. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, now who is the serpent? The devil. Now, before I read through this, I want to explain something very, very clearly. Satan is much sharper than just trying to get Adam and Eve in trouble with God. Although Satan is not on the level of God, he is not a stupid being and should never be treated as such. He has been, unfortunately, successfully deceiving most of the world. And, and he is not to be trifled with like he doesn't know what he's doing. Because unfortunately, on some levels, he does. He doesn't have the wisdom of God. He has a demonic level of wisdom, but he still has a level of wisdom. Now, you have to understand something. Adam has been given the dominion. He has been given these five keys being blessed, be fruitful, be multiplied, uh, have dominion and subdue the earth. Okay, So he's been given these five keys by God to have full autonomous, well, sub submitted, but really on some levels like an empowered king, rulership and authority over the earth. Okay, And so, so with that, Satan understands that if Adam disobeys, he loses the rights that the covenant afforded him. So when Satan came in in the serpent, he didn't come in just so that Adam and Eve would get in trouble with God and get kicked out of the garden. Satan was smarter than that, and he wanted those keys because he always, remember what he did in heaven? In heaven, he tried to get a power play for the throne. And so now there's a power play for the throne, but it's the throne that God gave Adam. 
you see. And so he didn't do it by coming in, in warfare because he hadn't been given dominion and authority. Adam actually had dominion and authority over Satan. But Satan came in and suggested something that even Adam did on their own. It was a self-harming, destructive move. And so when Adam and Eve ate that and they felt that nakedness, they lost their authority, their power, their dominion, okay? And guess who got it? Satan. That's why Satan's called the God of this age or the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He's called these things because he has contended for those keys, okay? And from that time on, humanity and the DNA lineage of Adam and Eve would fall under servitude or slavery to the serpent, Satan, Lucifer, okay? And so we, we don't just have a fruit crisis here. We don't just have a real estate crisis where Adam and Eve are getting kicked out of the garden. We have a slavery crisis because dominion has been neglected. And because, excuse me, because dominion has been neglected, Satan has now grabbed the authority and the power off of Adam legally. Legally, okay? It's not talked about a whole bunch, but if you pay attention, because God never gave uh, Satan keys, but Satan has keys, and Adam's the one who gave it to him. So let's keep reading. I hope someone's enjoying this right now. I want you to see this, because everything God did was powerful. Now let's come right back here to, to um, Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to tuck right back in where I was reading. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you were cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. Now, I don't know whether Satan entered the serpent or Satan himself manifested in the form of a serpent. I, um, it does say that Satan entered the serpent, okay? Just in the same way it talks about Satan entering Judas. So, so the, I, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I do know that Satan was at the wheelhouse of everything that happened, okay? So watch this. Let's go. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. That means you don't have legs, you don't have wings. So now you're, now you're crawling on your belly. And you shall eat the dust all the days of your life. Now watch this. Watch this, guys. This is the greatest prophecy to the human race of redemption. And, and I will put enmity or aggression, hostility, between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. And he, speaking of the woman's seed, Jesus, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, come on. So what God's saying is God has walked into a mess. His son that he empowered to have dominion and authority over the whole planet has just made a huge mess and he's given God's enemy dominion over the planet that Adam was supposed to rule and Eve. Is someone hearing this? Okay, and God comes in and he doesn't miss a beat because the Bible tells us that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slain before the foundation of the earth. So somehow in all of this, before God even said, let there be light, it was already understood that Adam was going to going to blow it out. He was going to have a blowout, okay? And in that blowout with Adam and Eve, God understood that Jesus was going to have to be the perfect sacrifice to redeem the mess, to get back the keys. Come on, somebody. 
Come on, someone getting something or, or what? So, so let's carry on here. So, so we have to understand that, that the serpent is now doomed to prophecy. This is also another reason, if, the, if you're relatively new to this book, that when you get to certain passages of the Bible, you can see it at the, at the beginning of the New Testament in places. You can also see it throughout passages of the Old Testament where you come to these sections where it's like, and this person begot that person, begot that person, and this father was the son of the, the son of the son of or the or the father of the father of the father of. And you're like, why is this in the Bible? Because God is so intricate that He is putting on full public display a perfect lineage from from Eve's womb to Mary's womb that that Jesus would be born the seed of David. Come on, somebody! There is a perfect lineage that has been perfectly kept in order so that anyone that would want to see it would say, God said it in Genesis chapter 3 and he delivered it with, with Mary. who was born. Jesus was born of a virgin Mary. Come on, somebody. This is amazing. So God, did, the reason I'm backtracking is because you need to see how awesome your God is. Jesus didn't show up haphazard. It wasn't sort of something that just happened because he needed to do what was right. This was prophesied. God wasn't thinking on the, on the you know, he wasn't trying to, you know, move on the cuff or speak on the cuff or just come out and kind of ad lib it. God had this planned out and he still has it planned out. And guess what? We win. The end of the book tells us we win. If you read, you're like, oh, we're in really uncertain times. No, we're not. We're in certain times and God has seen all this before and we are stable. We're secure. I'm telling you, if you call yourself a believer, a child of God, a Christian, if you if you go to church every Sunday and, and what we're walking through right now has you terrified, you need to meet Jesus. I don't care if you play on a worship team. I don't care if you're a preacher. You need to meet Jesus because the Jesus I know is the author and the finisher. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth and he will complete that which he started. Therefore, we can rest assured knowing that we're going to come through untouched. Just like the, 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 the Jews that went into their house on Passover and the angel of the Lord came through and killed all the firstborn in Egypt, like we talked about on Wednesday night. I'm here to tell somebody God is in control. I'm here to tell somebody that you can be secure that God has not been caught by surprise at any point in history. He saw, he is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega. He knows everything before it happens. Come on. So Jesus has been perfectly uh, uh, prophesied into the fabric of the DNA of our history. Come on, is someone getting something right now? There are so many scriptures and so many angles and so many side stories that we could do this particular uh, uh, lineage, this, this topic, this event from now to the end of the year, and I'd still run out, I still not have enough time to tell you all the details. You need to get in the book and, and read it for yourself. I, I hope someone is getting touched today. I hope someone's getting lit up. If you're getting lit up, fire some stuff in the comments. We, we need to look at this. So then, well before Jesus is born, a prophet called Isaiah, okay, in, in the book of Isaiah, if you want to go to the book of Isaiah, I'm going to show you something. The book of Isaiah... Chapter 9, verse 6. The book of Isaiah, chapter 9, uh, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now, there's, there's different ways. I want to show you a couple of things right now. So, so we are, the, 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 the earth, the whole planet is having a prophet called Isaiah hear from God, and he is prophesying the future because Jesus is still hundreds of years off. 
okay? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, this is a scripture that a lot of people preach at Christmas time, but, but, but I'm here to tell you that Jesus wasn't born so that you could have presents at, at Christmas, although that's a nice way that we celebrate it. It's become very commercialized, but you have to see something here. We received the baby, God sent a son. Come on. We received the baby, but God sent a son. Okay, and, and I want you to look at this here. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. God gave, God gave, he didn't have anything demanded from him. God gave a son. Jesus gave himself. This was on purpose, intentional. You know, Jesus getting arrested in, the, in Gethsemane, actually God set it up. You remember, Jesus said, well, you know, I've kept everyone that you gave me, Father. This is before he, he died. I've kept everyone that you gave me, Father, except Judas, the son of hell, which was, that, that had to be part of the story because someone was going to betray me and Judas put his hand up. Come on, somebody. Okay, so let's keep reading. So I want you to see that. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. So now, that, now we're going to read the next passage. You don't need to turn there. You can if you want. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. Well, let me rephrase that for you. For God so loved, had so much compassion on Adam, Eve, and all the lineage that would come after them. God missed his children and had custody issues with Satan, and he wants his kids back. For God so loved the world. For God had so much love and mercy towards the world, that he gave his only son. One son. He gave his only son, so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. We're going to take up the offering right now, because God is a giver. God has always been a giver, and it is not just something God does, it's, it's his nature. Everything God does is out of generosity. So, so if you want to get ready to give right now, I'm not going to, because I'm talking about the generosity of God, it's, it's impossible for us to not be generous back to God and bring our tithes and offering to him, especially in a season when Jesus laid down all, how much more we should be laying down all in return. We can never repay Jesus back, but we can, we can be honoring and, and loving and we can bring him the, the fruit of our lives and say, Jesus, I never want to let money be my God. I'm going to always make sure that money's a tool. I'm bringing to you what I have. Remember I talked about a couple of weeks ago about how he shall rebuke the devourer for our sake. I'm here to tell somebody that, that this is what Jesus said. He said, if you'll lift me up, I'll draw all men to myself. And if we do that in our finances, I'm telling you, God's going to cause, like if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other needs will be, will be given to you. Okay, so, so, so Jesus is the first, uh, sorry, Jesus is, is the only begotten son of the father and he's been sent so that you may live. And, and I want to go back a little bit. If you remember, I'm not going to turn there. I'm not even going to reference it. If you remember uh, when Moses was leading the children of Israel, we're still doing the offering right now. I'm just giving you some time. There's some information on the screen. You can get it. But if you remember the, the 
children of Israel, they started murmuring and complaining in the wilderness. And actually it got God's attention where he got so upset that he actually sent, the Bible says, fiery serpents into the camp, into the outer perimeter of the camp. And it start, these snakes started biting people. And isn't that interesting that snakes were sent like the serpent? It, it's when, when you partner with negativity, it, you, you actually come under the, the authority of the enemy. And his poison starts to kill your life. And, and so people started coming to Moses saying, you need to save us. God sent this curse and this is really bad. People are dying. We don't know what we're doing. And, and so Moses comes to God and God says, have some artisans, some craftsmen create a bronze serpent out of bronze, the metal bronze, and put it on a stick and lift it up so that anyone that looks at that symbolically would be looking to my source of provision, breakthrough, healing, and deliverance. Come on, somebody. Is someone hearing this? When, when, when they were getting bitten because of their willful sin and rebellion and, and complaining to God, they came under a curse and these serpents came in and started eating them. Sorry, started biting them and poisoning them. And, and uh, many of them were dying. And so God's response was, lift up a brazen serpent on a pole and when anyone looks at it, they shall be healed. You just had to look at the, 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 the brazen serpent on the pole. That's why today, in our generation still, you can see in the medical industry, there is a pole with a serpent around it. I'm telling you, the, the, the gospel has marked the modern world more than the modern world's acknowledging. We have been shaped by this history. And this history needs to shape our lives. Because we are sons and daughters of God. And if you truly want to live in, and have purpose in your life, I'm telling you, you need to give all for God. And so one of the ways that we do that is we bring our offerings to God and we say, God, I just want to honor you with my 10%. I want to honor you with whatever that, that might look like for you. The tithe is classed as 10, 10% uh, of what we have. But I don't, I don't want to be legalistic with God because I don't want God being legalistic with me. I want to speak in the language of generosity because I want God to respond to me in the language of generosity. So if you're ready, just, just bring your offering to the Lord. Right now, there's, you can give online at the website. You can also text to give. Uh, there's information on the screen. And I'm going to pray over that right now. I'm going to continue because I do have a very lengthy message. I'm telling you it's going to encourage you. It's going to cause you to feel strengthened. It's going to cause you to feel lifted up in your spirit. In times where, where believers are just super being super discouraged and super uh, heavy and, and weighed down, I'm telling you that this is a season that we should be lifting our heads and shouting the name of Jesus with so much courage and excitement because Jesus is our rock. He's our high tower. He's our deliverer. He's our healer. He's our breakthrough. He is everything that you've ever needed. So Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I just ask, Father, that you would cause all of our giving to come up before you, to come up before you like a sweet-smelling incense. That it would cause you to be, uh, you to have pleasure over us, and in, in return, God, just like you said in Malachi, that you'd open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing over us. I also ask God in this season that there will be a testimony over this dwelling place church that none of our people will get sick. There will be no sick among us. I, I just declare that right now. There shall be no sick among us in Jesus' name. 
Death and sickness will not come to our door. It must pass over. It must pass over in the name of Jesus. I'm here to tell somebody today, you need to divorce the spirit of fear and you need to look Jesus in the eyes and you need to trust that he's going to carry you through in Jesus' name. Well, amen. I, I just pray if you need a little bit more time to give, you just do that. I'm going to carry on ministering. Um, we just finished up in John chapter 3, verse 16. See, Jesus was perfectly prophesied. He was perfectly uh, uh, foretold. And he was foretold because he is the seed of the womb of, of uh, symbolically, the seed of the lineage of Eve was perfectly manifested when Jesus was born into the earth. Remember, his, his, uh, his heel shall, shall, shall bruise your head and, and, and the, the head of the seed of the serpent. And, and, and the seed of the serpent will bruise the heel of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, I used, to, I used to do a lot of different martial arts and boxing and things like that. And I can tell you right now, if I'm, I'm going to figure out which one of those two things I want to be, whether I want to have a bruised or a flat head, or if I want to have a bruised heel, I'm going to pick the bruised heel. That's, that's, a good, that's the good deal. The bad deal is getting a bruised head. Okay. The bad deal is getting a pancake face. Okay. Someone needs, please. Someone needs to put that up, pancake face, okay? So, look, we're going to have some fun right now, because I'm, I'm here to tell you, I'm not here to, to mourn with, with black clothes and a black veil. I'm here to shout victory and celebrate the, the victorious conquering that Jesus did on my behalf and your behalf. We can have comfort and no fear of death or eternity because of who Jesus is and what he did and how he rose fearlessly conquering the grave. I'm here to tell somebody that we're going to have some fun in this. That's why I'm going to say pancake face. Okay, so, so let's come now. <laughs> let's come now. So I want to talk to you. I'm going to move into the second part of my, of my message. And, and I really want to address, this is an area that not many people talk about. Not many people talk about this. It is, where did Jesus go when he died? Where did Jesus go when he died? Because we, we just talked about uh, on Friday night, you know, he's, he's lifting up his head and he says, it is finished. And, you know, he says, into your hand, Father, I commit my spirit. And with that, he breathed his, his last. Now, that's interesting because I, I, I was talking about it with the Lord today. And remember, in the Psalms, it says, those that put their trust in you will never be put to shame. See, in Jesus' final moment, with the last bit of energy that he had before he, he, he expired on the cross, he said, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. He had not gone to a dark place. Jesus was on the cross. And, and he is literally at a place where his whole body is shutting down. He's probably feeling a cold wave coming over him as the blood is racing to preserve the, the final organs, the, the final vital organs. His whole body is torn and worn. He's been on the cross for six hours. There's, there's tears all through him. His body has bled out huge volumes of blood. His face and his skin has probably turned a very pale color. He's looking deathly. He's barely breathing. He's having shortness and shallowness of breath. And he lifts himself up in victory. Come on, somebody. He lifts himself up in victory. And he says, Father, 
Into your hands I commit my spirit. See, those that put their trust in you, O Lord, shall never be put to shame. So even though the sin of the world is on him, he's still in full faith. He's still in full trust. He has put his trust and his hope in Father God. And he is walking in victory, even though the last ounce of breath is about to leave his lungs. Come on, somebody. Never heard that before, never seen it before, but the, the Lord was showing me that this morning. And I want someone to get that. Jesus didn't die beaten and whipped. He died victorious to the last breath, full of courage, staring death and, and, and evil in the eyes. Not bowing at all. Come on, somebody. I'm just so excited about this. This is awesome. Woo! <laughs> so from that moment, I want you to understand, the Bible says that God the Father saw it fit to break Jesus on the cross. And it says that God laid on him the sin of all mankind. So Jesus is on the cross. Jesus didn't fear the whipping and he didn't fear the asphyxiation on the cross. Anywhere near as much as someone that had never sinned, having the sin of all mankind now pinned on him. He was made to carry the sin, the horrific filth, the vile, the, 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 the evil, the, the twisted things. Even the people that would never repent, Jesus still paid for their sins. That's the great tragedy of hell. It's going to be full of people that will go to hell having Jesus paid for their sins, but they never accepted it. I'm here to tell somebody today, we need to live for the King of glory who conquered sin and death and paid for the sin of every the most horrific evil person that you think there's no hope for, there's hope for because Jesus paid for their sins. He paid for every single person. You could think of the Hitlers and, and the most evil dictators, the Maos, the, 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 the Stalins, the, 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 all the different people that have ever lived and done hideous, wicked atrocities. The Herods that killed all the babies, the Pharaohs that killed all the babies, the people that are in the abortion clinics, Jesus has paid for their sins. If you've ever had an abortion, I'm telling you, Jesus has paid for that sin. And he wants to heal you and set you free and bring forgiveness to your life so that you would have the guilt and shame lifted and that he has already paid the price of that wrongdoing. But we have to look to that serpent, like, like symbolically, like in the Old Testament with Moses. We have to look to that and put our trust because sin is the snake that's bitten us and put poison through our veins. But Jesus, like a type of that serpent lifted up on the hill, that, that bronze brazen serpent that's been lifted up on the hill, and anyone that would look to that thing would actually be healed. And in the same way, Jesus was lifted up on the cross, and anyone that would look to him now will never be put to shame. And I'm here to tell somebody that we actually have to come to a place where we realize that Jesus paid for the sins of all mankind. So with that, Jesus is hanging on the cross. The Father has loaded all the guilt and sin and vile filth that mankind has ever experienced. I don't even know. I think that's what killed Jesus. I, the Bible says that, that, that medically, it says that when he died, that the soldier, after he died, put a spear up through under his ribcage, at the very bottom of his ribcage, up into where the heart is to make sure that he was dead. And the Bible says that when, when the soldier did that, it says that blood and water flowed. Now, the only way that can happen is a ruptured heart. 
If you, if you want to look it up, you'll see that medically what I'm telling you is true. A Jesus didn't die because of asphyxiation. He died of a ruptured heart. And I believe that when the Father put all of that sin of mankind on Jesus, that it was so intense for him that his, that his heart literally split in two. And there's references about that in, in the book of Psalms and in the Old Testament about how he would die of a broken heart. Remember, everything that, that happened to Jesus, he happened so that you could get the opposite. If you're living brokenhearted, Jesus wants to give you a brand new heart. He wants to take out that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm here to tell somebody today that you should not let one thing that Jesus did at the cross go to waste in your life. You should be redeeming and looking to get the voucher fulfilled of everything he paid for and not leave anything go to waste. But Jesus, the Bible says that blood and water flowed out into the earth and that blood flowed into the same earth. And it answered the, 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 the vengeance that, that, that Abel's blood was crying for. And it was, a, it, was, it was a, Jesus had that voice of mercy. So in that moment, Jesus died of a ruptured heart. But that's where all the people that were looking in the natural saw a defeat. <laughs> and heaven saw the beginning of a victory. Come on, I'm going to explain it to you what happened. In that moment when Jesus expired in the natural... His spiritual man stepped out of a physical body. This is what's going to happen to every person when they die. When you die, this body is going to die and fall down like a rental car. And the real you spiritual form is going to step out. And your spiritual body will then be in a spiritual realm. And you will see all the things that you were not seeing before. There are angels and demons, heaven and hell, God and Satan. And they are contending for, for, for the souls of mankind. Come on, somebody. And so Jesus stepped off the cross, spiritual being, carrying the weight of the world. And the Bible tells us that he actually descended into hell. Now, I want to read that to you. I'm going to, I'm going to start to show you where Jesus went and what he did for those three days. Are you ready? Let's go to the book of Luke, please. Jesus is now telling a story, and you're going to get an idea of actually what he was telling in just a second because he's describing a place. Now, I want to tell you that there was actually uh, uh, different places uh, because leading up to Jesus' time, the death and burial of Jesus, there was a different place, okay? There, there is a place called Sheol, okay? Now, Sheol was not actually hell. Okay, I believe the Jewish word for hell is Gehenna. Okay, but Sheol was actually a holding place. There was a separation there, and we're going we're gonna to read Jesus describing it right now. Okay, Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. Jesus is telling a parable. He's telling a story. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple. Purple was the, was the wealthiest, most expensive color. If you were wearing purple, you were of the elite. Okay, so... There was a certain man who was, who was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously, ate sumptuously, ate fine foods every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. So he was living out, outside his street or outside the city, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked the sores of Lazarus. So, so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels. See, the spiritual man came out of his body and he was carried by the angels because you didn't see a dead body flying through the air. So his spiritual body came out of his natural body. Natural body just returns to the dirt. Your spiritual body is the one that you have to pay attention to because that's the one that's going to live forever. 
in either heaven or hell. There's no middle ground. There's no party central. Hell is a place of eternal torment. Heaven is a place of eternal bliss. Okay, so he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now, that's an interesting statement, but you have to understand the language. In, in this place called Sheol, there was two places. There was, there was a great divide, like a canyon, and on one side, there was a place referred to as Abraham's bosom, like a territory, or Abraham's chest, if you really want, or his breast. It would be like that, that place where you'd hug someone. Okay, and on the other side was a place of a torment and flames. Okay, so there was a great divide. Both people could see each other. So we're going to read this here. You're going to see, see what it looks like. Uh, the rich man also died and was buried. And, and being in torment in Hades, which is this place, okay, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off. He saw Abraham on the other side of this canyon, Okay, and Abraham wasn't in flames. And Lazarus was in his bosom. So Lazarus was with him. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. See, this is a man that had a knowledge of his lineage, of his, of his history, and even his religion. Okay, your religion's not going to save you. Relationship with Jesus is going to save you. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger. See this? The tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. He was in so much torment, he didn't even ask for a drink because he didn't think he'd get it. He just asked for someone to dip a finger and touch his tongue. This is the, we're, talking, we're not talking earthly torment and torture we're talking spiritual realm which is a far higher level that words cannot actually frame and describe i've been to these places and the the, the language stops working you can't describe properly because it's just way off the grid of anything that you could possibly imagine so let's keep reading for i am tormented in this flame but abraham said son remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise, Lazarus, evil things, but now he is comforted and you were tormented. Besides all this, between us you and, and between you and us, there is a great gulf or a, or a canyon or a divide so that, you, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot and those from there cannot come to us. And then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify and lest, to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. See, there's people in hell right now that don't want their relatives going to hell. They, they, they understand that it's so bad, they don't want anyone coming there. But watch what Jesus said. Well, Jesus describing what Abraham said. Abraham said to him, They had Moses and they have the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said to them, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one who rises from the dead. You see, there's so many people. We're living in an age right now where people are so critical and they're so opinionated that they're not listening to, to, to sound reason and things that are right in front of them because we are in, a, in an age of knowledge where everyone acts like they have so much experience. And, they, you know, it's like a, I was telling someone last night, it's like someone who's drowning trying to tell the, the lifeguard how they should save them or not. 
You know, it's it's ridiculous. We're, we're, in a, we're in a season, but the world's been like this all along. Jesus, now I want you to notice that Jesus was describing a place where it was almost like there was still elements of heaven and elements of hell, but it was in one holding area with a gulf between the two. Okay, this is a place called Sheol. Now, I don't have time to go into much further history. We can do it another time, but I want you to see that. So then please come with me um, to uh, the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verse 18. I'm moving quickly because I want to build this. I would highly recommend you watch this again. Okay, I need to build this so that you see that there is evidence and I'm not just giving you an opinion or some kind of angle or some weird new theology or, or doctrine. I'm just giving you the book. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 3 from verse 18. Now watch this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just Jesus for the unjust, us, that he might bring us to God. What was Jesus doing? When he was dead for three days, he was going to this place. Uh, now, I'm, there's two different things. I'm going to talk to you about that in a second. But, but uh, he did two things while he was actually dead for, for three days. Now, he, he became unjust so that we would become just. The just dying for the unjust. Okay? And the goal of all of this was that he could give us the relationship that Adam and Eve gave up with God. Jesus didn't save you so you could keep living in fringe Christianity and show up to church once a week. Jesus saved you so that you could have the relationship that Adam had with God, that Eve had with God, before they sinned and disobeyed him and gave up their authority back to the enemy. Come on, somebody. Jesus saved you for a purpose. He didn't save you so that you could live halfway looking like the world, apathetic, and going to church for a pick-me-up once a week. Come on, somebody. I know I'm on fire, but but listen, I'm not. You're not going to keep me quiet on the subject, okay? We, we need the truth. We need we need the authentic power of God. So watch this. Let's keep reading. That He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, in the natural, but being made alive by the Spirit, who by whom also He went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, this is amazing because before Jesus came, no one had the chance of, of the gospel. No one had the, the opportunity. You know, people, people often ask this question like, well, what about all the people that came before Jesus? Well, this clearly tells us here in 1 Peter chapter, th chapter 3, 18 through 22, that when Jesus died, he did two things. Now, the first thing he did was actually fight the devil. That's the first thing. And I'm, gonna, I'm doing it back to front, but I want you to see this. Okay, Jesus... After he defeated the devil, he went and preached to the souls in prison. Where were they in prison? Sheol. They were in a holding place after they died. Abraham on one side, all of the, the condemned in the flames on the other. Now, I don't, I'm not here to tell you that he preached to both sides or one side. I don't know. But it says that he went and preached to the souls in captivity. It didn't say he went and preached to people. It said he went and preached to spirits. So that means they haven't got bodies. So he went down to this place called Sheol after he took back the power of the devil and he defeated the devil. But I am, I am, I'm, I'm bringing this um, back to front, but I want you to see this. So he went to that place where, the, where the Lazarus, the poor man, and Abraham and everyone else, Isaac would have been there, Jacob would have been there, Joseph would have been there, Moses would have been there. Isaiah would have been there. All the greats would have been there. Everyone that's ever lived. Pharaoh was there. Come on, somebody. 
Everyone was there. Okay. So let's keep reading. Who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which, that is, eight souls were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. See, so, so, so what Jesus did was he went down into this place called Sheol, like a holding afterlife, and he preached to them and offered them the gospel. And those that would have accepted it, now I don't know how that worked, but those of them that would have accepted it, he would have led. Now let's keep reading. Have you got some time? Now let's keep reading down a little bit here. Uh, not, not the removal of the filth, which is the flesh. Let's keep reading. But the answer of a good conscience towards God, watch this, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Come on, somebody. He comes to earth a little lower than the angels. He goes back far above all principalities, powers, and authorities. Come on. And he's seated at the right hand of God. Now come with me, please, to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, chapter 4. The book of Ephesians, chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 7. I need to move because time's, time's trucking here, and I have a lot of content still ahead of me. I hope someone's enjoying this. I hope this is really penetrating your heart. I hope it is firing up your spirit. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, he says, when he ascended back to heaven on high, he led captivity captive. Where? He led, he led captivity. Satan had become the prison master. He'd become the jailer. And he took captivity's power off of him. And he made captivity captive. Okay? And he gave gifts to men. Now that he ascended, what does it mean? But he first also descended into the lower parts of the earth. It doesn't say onto the valleys. It says into the lower parts, which means Jesus went down into the bowels of hell. What did he do in the bowels of hell? He said, you, you remember my father in the garden? Do you remember when you lied to Eve and you deceived her? I'm here to claim the rights of the king. I am here for the sons and daughters that you've deceived. And, and, and all of the principalities and the demons and the imps, all of hell's ranks stood watching. Come on, somebody. And, and Jesus went right into the bowels of hell. Because although he was carrying sin, he was blameless. <laughs> although, he was, although he was killed as a criminal, he had put his trust in God and he would never be put to shame. So he goes straight marching into the bowels of hell with nail hands, with, with holes in his hands and his feet. And he walks straight up to Satan and he starts to put the biggest whooping on Satan that you could ever possibly imagine. Matter of fact, like I've told many people, when I get to heaven, I want the TV, I want the rerun, slow-mo rewind of that moment. I want to see it because to me, there is so much power in that moment. And Jesus, our great king, our hero, our priest, our deliverer, our champion, uh, he went in there and that, that picture ended. I don't know how long the battle lasted, whether it was 10 minutes or 10 hours. That doesn't matter to me. But I know this, that what the father said is that your, your seed, Satan, will bruise his heel. But, but, but that seed, Jesus, will bruise your head. And I know that that battle ended with the foot heel of Jesus squished into the side of Satan's face. 
And Satan begged for mercy and bowed down. And in that moment, while Satan was squished down, Jesus reached down to his belt. He reached down to the belt of Satan, of Lucifer, and he took the keys that Satan had stolen from Adam and he tore them off. He said, you got these. You got these by deception. You got these. And now I am here to redeem all things and make all things new. And he stripped the, the keys off of Satan that Satan had tricked out of Adam and Eve. Come on, somebody. This is, we, we are part of a phenomenal, highly detailed romance love action story that you could have possibly ever uh, conceived or crafted. Come on. This is, this is I, I'm so excited. I hope you're excited too. So, verse, uh, let, let's go to the book of Colossians. Come on. Let's go to the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 12. Colossians, chapter 2, verse 12. Colossians 2, verse 12. I'm going to read through to verse 15. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. You being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with Jesus, him, having forgiven you of all trespasses. See, when Jesus says that he's prepared to forgive you of all your sins, he really is, is empowered and qualified to make that statement. He paid the price to conquer all and absolve all sins. Watch this. He has been made alive together, having forgiven all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of, a, of requirements that was against us. So all your sin is like a written record that the devil keeps against you, like evidence that a lawyer is compiling, which was contrary to us, which was against us. It was hostile towards us. And watch this. This is the beautiful part. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having, watch this, disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them. Come on. Jesus didn't just go in and win. He made a spectacle of them. He made a mockery of hell. He, he triumphed over them publicly. He walked into hell. One man, one son of, I don't know, maybe millions of demonic powers and entities. And Jesus conquered all of hell. Jesus got the devil to squeal and give up and yield, and he conquered them and, and, and completely took away. The Bible doesn't just say he won, it says he disarmed them. No weapon formed against you shall prosper unless you let it. No weapon for, will be formed against you, uh, no weapon formed against you will prosper because Jesus disarmed them. That's why I've got to tell you somebody, if Christians are all in a, in a turmoil and a flurry and a panic about this virus, you need to meet the real Jesus because he disarmed all principalities and powers and he made a spectacle of them. We're not to walk aloof. I'm not suggesting that. But we are to walk in the victory and the power of the cross. Don't tell me that Jesus has the power to conquer sin and death but not sickness. Come on, somebody. Woo! I'm getting ready to stand up and run around this room and start shouting. So... Watch this. Romans chapter 8. We're going to go to Romans chapter 8 right now. I hope you're getting this. I know this is a huge story. I'm preaching about three messages, but it doesn't matter. It's Resurrection Sunday. We're, we're here to celebrate Jesus. He's the main event. He's the birthday boy. 
times two, it's second birthday. He rose again. <laughs> Come on. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Did you know that you're being, you've been uh, made to look like the image of Jesus? Adam was made in the image of God. And then after that, there was a deterioration. But now we're made to look like the image of Jesus. Watch this. That he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus, John chapter 3 verse 16, is the only begotten son of the Father, comes to earth, goes through the crucible of, sickness, of sin and death at the cross, goes down into hell, conquers sin and death, preaches to the lost souls that are in prison down in Sheol, rises from the dead, and is now the firstborn of many brothers, because now... Jesus has made a way. I am the way, truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father and gets adopted in through the breaking of bread and the washing of the, of the blood, but through me. He is now the firstborn of many brothers. Come on, somebody. I hope someone is just getting absolutely wrecked right now. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Can you just see this? After, I'm going to cut back in just a second and we're going to read through uh, Matthew 28 and a couple of the other Gospels real quickly. But I want you to see this. After Jesus rose, he, he was with the disciples for about 40 days and then he ascended in a cloud and went back to heaven. But I want you to see this. I want you to see that Jesus held the hand of that sinner on the cross. And I like, I'm not saying this is doctrine, but I just want you to see this. That he led all of those out of Sheol that would listen to his message. And he had the hand of that sinner on the cross that never had time to go to church. He never even had time to change his lifestyle. He just put his trust in God. I just want you to see that. Hey, Father, here's the, here's the first brother. And there's more coming. Can you see them? And he's walking through the pearly gates. Jesus, the victorious son. Come on, somebody. Comes to earth, the only begotten. Returns the firstborn of a massive family called the family of God. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I'm just so blessed by this, that Jesus would do this and that he, he wouldn't see us as too far gone, but he would see us as royalty and waiting. Those that, that would be redeemed, those that would be sanctified, those that would be washed clean so that it would look like we'd never sinned to the Father, that we had the righteousness of Jesus. Come on. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. The third part of this message, we're going to talk about this. You know, in, in Jewish culture, uh, they would, if you'd be around a meal table like this, that you would have a napkin, and, and if, if you uh, were done with the meal, you'd just screw up the napkin and kind of throw it to the side, and you would get up and leave. But if you were wanting to go to the bathroom or go outside and, you know, have a conversation or greet someone, you would fold your napkin, and you would leave it neatly on the table. It's still culture today, okay? Uh, I just want you to remember that, because we're going we're gonna to jump into this right here. So let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. The book of Matthew, chapter 28. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep moving fast. I hope someone is getting something today. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, which technically the Sabbath was a Saturday. We celebrate it as a Sunday, but in Jewish culture and times, it was, it was a Saturday. <clears throat> so after the Saturday, technically would have been the next morning, which would have been Sunday morning. Okay, so after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to, the to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Now, stop for a second. 
The Holy Spirit showed me something again this morning. This is powerful, guys. This is so powerful. Because when Jesus was dying, an earthquake happened as the spirit realm impacted the natural realm and there was a shaking. But now there is a new shaking because death has been conquered. It looked like it looked like darkness was trying to take over, but we read about how how people were raised from the dead that had been long time dead, and the curtain was torn, and there was an earthquake, and all kinds of things, and darkness covered. But now, after three days, there's another earthquake, and it's the re-entry of Jesus from the spirit realm, conquering sin and death back into the natural. So there's another earthquake. That's interesting. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door that it, and, and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was white was as white as snow. And the guards took, shook for fear of him and became like dead men. It was so terrifying. They didn't have any kind of any kind of modern technology to start with. I mean, even if we see that angel now, we'd all freak out. But they didn't have any technology to even connect with. And it shook them so much that they just short-circuited and fell down like they were dead. Okay. Um, verse 5. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Who was crucified. Not who is crucified. You don't need to paint a picture of him. You don't need to build a little uh, idol of him and stick him up on your wall. He was crucified. He is not still crucified. Come on, somebody. Woo! I'm getting all excited. Who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. <laughs> Just as he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Indeed, he is going to go he is going before you into Galilee there I will see him behold I have told you and so they went quickly from the tomb with great fear and joy and ran to bring the disciples now watch this let's cut over to the gospel of John please let's go to the uh, uh, the gospel of John we're going to go to chapter 20 thank you Jesus Woo! Thank you, God. John chapter 20. Now, I'm going to read the same section uh, from verse 1. Now, on the first day, because I, I like you to see the cross-correlation of, of the, the, the perspectives. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which is the guy writing the book, and said to them, uh, they have taken away the Lord out of, I find that funny. <laughs> they have taken away our Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've taken him because there was all this conspiracy. We know that the Pharisees were like, well, we remember we talked about it on Friday. The Pharisees realized, the, the high priest realized that if they steal his body, this could be worse than even when he was living. Uh, because basically we'd create a legend. Too late, the legend created them. Okay. So, so, so verse 3, Peter therefore went out uh, and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple, here's John talking about himself, the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, and he stooping down and looking in, watch this, come on, come on somebody, the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Peter, Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there. Now watch this, the same Peter... <laughs> this one wrecks me, guys. 
The same Peter that was lying and cussing and running away. The same Peter that heard that rooster crowing because he denied Jesus. He didn't run from God. He ran to him in his brokenness. Some of us need to learn to run to Jesus even when we've messed up. We need to run to the Father. We need to run to Jesus and say, you know what? I know I messed up. The reason that Peter ran to find Jesus was because he knew Jesus' nature was merciful and compassionate. Come on, somebody. We've been taught that the world's been taught that God is angry and harsh and unloving and judgmental. He's wanting you to make it. Peter ran to Jesus for a reason. Come on, let's keep reading him. Verse 7, And that the handkerchief that had been around his neck was not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together <laughs> in a place by itself. Jesus was saying it's not crumpled, it's folded up because I intend to come back. Come on, somebody. He literally said, just, it's Jewish culture. We don't get it. We don't get it. You're, I've read this for years. He folded up the linen, letting everyone know, I am not done. <laughs> Come on. We serve a risen God. We serve a champion, a champion victor. Okay. Then the other disciple uh, who came to the tomb first went in also and saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then, then the disciples went away to their own own homes. Now let's let's keep let's keep reading, man. Let's keep reading. Let's go over now, please. Uh, back to the book of Mark. I'm going to finish here. I'm going to finish with the book of Mark. I, I thank you for, for for working with me. But we're going to go to Mark chapter 16. I hope someone is just feeling victory running through their veins. I hope someone's feeling encouragement. I hope someone's seeing that we are on the winning team, that there is no need to be afraid, that there is no need to be bound to sin. Jesus conquered sin and death. Jesus redeemed the story that Adam and Eve dropped. Jesus took all authority and power that was given up, and he gave it back to us. Now, come on, let's, let's keep going. Uh, actually, I might, I might read another scripture after this. Um, verse 16, chapter, sorry, chapter 16, verse 1. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and, and uh, Solomon, uh, bought spices that they may come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the, on, on the first day of the week, they came into the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door for the tomb, of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white, a long white robe sitting on the, on the right side. <clears throat> and, and they were alarmed. That young man was an angel. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where, where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter. Watch this. The angel's not. He's making sure that they know about Peter. He's making sure you specifically tell Peter because Peter needs to know. Peter's already so in a dark place. He needs to know that Jesus is looking for him. That he that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him, as he said to you. And they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they, they said nothing to no one, to anyone, for they were afraid. Now he arose, verse 9, now, now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared to, to uh, Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. 
He went and told those that had, who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when, sorry, and when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. <laughs> Watch this, verse 12. And after that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country and went out and, and told it to, to the rest. But they did not believe, uh, but they did not believe them either. Now, verse 14. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And watch this. This is, this is not going to make a lot of Christians comfortable right now. He appeared at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. That's Jesus' response. Well, I've got my opinion and I'm, you know, I'm really kind of, I've got a certain angle and I've been checking out certain articles and news clippings. No, no, Jesus rebukes your unbelief. How are you going to deal with that? There is only one angle to have and that's called faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you refuse to have faith, God's saying he's going to rebuke you. And that's not to hurt you or to humiliate you, but to change the direction of your ship because faith is what pulls heaven. Come on, somebody. Jesus has been like, you guys have been with me three and a half years. I've been telling you that I was going to die and rise. And you're all down, Debbie Downer, all heavy and all low and downcast. I told you this was going to happen. What's going on? <laughs> Here I am, and you're still struggling. I've been sending messages, and you still won't believe. So watch this. Let's keep going. Because they did not believe those who, he had, who had seen him after they, he had risen. Verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Come on, we have a, we have a, a solemn duty to let every person in our world know that Jesus is Lord, that he conquered sin and death, he restored what Adam lost, that he completely led captivity captive, and now that he gives us the opportunity, everyone without prejudice, to be called children of God. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And when he says condemned, that's talking about an eternal eternity in hell. Remember the rich man? I just want a drop of water. It's much worse than that. That was the holding place. That wasn't even hell yet. Watch this, verse 17. And, and these signs will follow those that believe in me. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will take up serpents and they will drink anything deadly and it will by no means hurt them. Come on, coronavirus. You can't touch me. You can't touch it. Listen, it will by no means hurt you. Woo! And they will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Not might, they shall recover. I'm here to tell somebody today that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the risen Lamb of God. He was slain for the sins of the world. He conquered the devil. He put him back in check. And he's now offered us to come and sit in heavenly places, to be called children of God, to be called co-heirs with Jesus. And I'm here to tell you today that if you don't know who Jesus is and you're hearing the story, you are qualified for the goodness of God. He wants to take all the shame and the pain and the rejection of your life and turn it round. He wants to give you eternal hope and eternal life. He wants to give you life and life in abundance with purpose now, not just when you die and go to heaven. So I'm here to tell you that if you would just reach out to Jesus and say, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, if you are the, the son of the, of the living God, if you really did come and you died on the cross so that I could have my sins forgiven and you rose again victorious, saying that you would, that you would now invite me into the family of God, I want in. I, I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me for all of the sins I've ever committed. I ask you to wash me clean with, with what you did on the cross. And I ask you to make me brand new and whole. And I will live for you 
without question for the rest of my life. No turning back. I will give you the keys and I will never take them back off you. I will live as a, as, as a family, son, daughter, servant for you. The, Paul, the apostle Paul called it a bond servant. And that's someone that used to be a slave. But they just loved working with their master so much that even though they had the rights of freedom, they chose to live in servitude for the rest of their life. And I would just tell you that I'm here to tell somebody today that Jesus has come to set you free. He's come to give you life in abundance. Jesus is the risen King of heaven. He is the risen King of heaven. And I'm here to tell you that the devil's power was broken that day. And you do not need to live under bondage and fear anymore. You do not need to live under sickness and fear of death. So, so we're, so we're going to land right there. I pray that this has deeply encouraged you, that it's strengthened you in your spirit. And I pray that your life has changed. And that over the, these four sessions, these four messages, that you, even if you've been in church your whole life, that you've now seen the gospel and the, and the crucifixion, resurrection, history of Jesus in such a light that it changes the way you live the rest of your life for him, that you would live more sold out, more radical, more dedicated, more laid down than you ever would have before in Jesus' name. So I bless you. I'm going to close in prayer. Father, I just thank you for every person watching right now. I pray that this message would go far and wide, that it would be shared and that people would hear it and come to a knowledge of your goodness, your mercy, your forgiveness, and your great overcoming victory over sin and death and the devil. In Jesus' name, I pray that every person would walk in protection and under, under the covering of your goodness and that we would all walk in deep relationship with you all the days of our lives, God, and that we would become so bold that if you would hang naked on a cross in front of everyone watching with your body torn, with your organs visible through your broken flesh and, and barely breathing, if you would go to such great lengths of shame for us, God, that we would find nothing to uh, humiliating to tell the world about who you are and the great breakthrough victory that you attained for us. That you came as the only begotten son of the father, but you went back as the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And I pray, God, that we would be those that contribute to the family getting bigger. In the name of Jesus, we love you, Father. We ask you to bless us that this would be an amazing week and that you would heal our land. That you would heal this land, America, and the, and the nations of the earth in Jesus' name. And that you would use the sons and daughters of God to do it. Be blessed. Amen. Thank you, Father.